So let me state the obvious. Christmas feels different this year. For some of you, it works like this. So this is Christmas, but you don't sound very convinced. For others, it's like, so this is Christmas, and you're just going to make the best of it. For others, it's like, so this is Christmas, and it's an act of your will, and if people don't get with your program, they will suffer. And then there's a whole other group of people who are absolutely undaunted in this season. It's like, so this is Christmas, and you are a Christmas elf every year, and you're going to be this year again. It's going to be no different, and you are so excited. But it's different this year. My pastoral email looks different this year. There tends to be a sense of heaviness more so than other years. Laurel pointed out a portion of Isaiah 59 this past week. I think it kind of sums up the first three inflections of the statement. So this is Christmas and I'm going to read it to you and then you can all sigh deeply at the end. The Bible says justice is far from us. Righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight twilight among the strong. We are like the dead. We all growl like bears, somewhat prophetic. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none for deliverance, but it's far away. And some of you are wondering, Grant, why are you doing this to us? Like if I wanted to be bummed out with a message like this, I would have just stayed home and lived in my reality. Let me tell you why I'm doing this. It's because we're going to turn a corner. And we're going to start with my question for 2020. What if God has a plan? What if God's actually up to something in this season? What if the God who can make something out of nothing actually has a plan? What if God, the God who can make something beautiful out of something broken actually has a plan? What if the God who decided the best way to save humanity from sin was to have his son become like us? What if that same God has a plan for 2020? What if the God who's walking us through this most different and difficult season actually has a plan? Here's another question. What if the God of Isaiah 59, the heaviness, is also the God of Isaiah 60? He wrote that all to his chosen people and he wrote it to you. He said, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble, come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. And I've got another question. What if the God of Isaiah 59 and the God of Isaiah 60 is also the God of Isaiah 61? Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 years, 700 plus years later, when he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The day of vengeance to our God to comfort all who are mourning and to provide for those who grieve in Zion and in Bellingham, Washington. 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So what if God has a plan? What if God is actually up to something and we can't see it and we don't even understand large parts of it, but what if God is actually doing something amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Let me read to you a part of the Christmas story from Matthew chapter one that you probably skipped over. I skip over it too every time I read the Christmas story. I'm only gonna read a chunk and then I'm gonna put you out of your misery, okay? It goes like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. I'll just stop right there for a moment. Some of you are wondering, so this is Christmas? Like seriously, where's the angel choir and the wise men? Like can't we get to the manger and that really angry king? This is just a list of names, Grant. This can't be Christmas. This is Christmas? The answer is yes. It's the foundation of Christmas. It's God's crazy plan to save us. It's actually God's solution for sin. It's God's plan to bring the light of the world into the darkness. It's God's plan to change absolutely everything. Let me put it this way. Even in an obscure list of names, God always has a plan. God's going to use this family line. The family line of Joseph and the family line of Mary to bring out something amazing. In the New Testament, there's two genealogies. Matthew chapter 1, that's the genealogy from Joseph's side of the family. In Luke chapter 3, it's the genealogy from Mary's side of the family. And they are not contradictory, they're actually complementary, and they are also something else. They're nuts. They're nuts because of the people that are in them. My mom did a bunch of genealogy work on the, the fish book side of the family. Also, the Smith side of the family. It's ironic, right? The, weird, the world's worst weird last name and then the most plain last name in the world. How the Smiths and the fish books got together, it's a crazy story. But my mom did a bunch of genealogy work. She gave us a binder full of this information. It's amazing and honestly, it's somewhat boring. You know why? There's not a single famous person in the bunch. And that's what we're all looking for, right? We want to be like, there's got to be a king or a prince or a princess somewhere back in this story. Not a single one. So I can tell you this for the record. The fish books are not the Kardashians, the Wahlbergs, the Robertsons, or the housewives of forever, uh, from wherever. And I'm thankful for that. But what I need you to know is this. The family of Jesus is worse than all of the families that I've already mentioned. If I was God, I would have edited this family tree. Straight up. Instead, God seems to say, no, just leave it all in there. I want the whole world to read it. Leave all the mayhem and the dysfunction because this is my family, but here's what you need to know. I have a plan. I have a plan. In my mind's eye, in my imagination, I wonder if the angelic editors made an appeal. God, do we have to leave all of this detail in here? Like, really? 
Do we have to leave inside of the family tree the fact that King David's son Amnon raped his sister Tamar and then their brother Absalom murdered Amnon in revenge? Like, do we really need to to keep all of that in there? And it's as if God replies, no, it needs to be there. I want the whole world to read about it because I need them to understand something. Family is not always bear hugs and fist bumps. Somebody say amen if you know that. I mean, even Jesus' family shows up at a social gathering, and this is what they say. Jesus has lost his mind. Let me just cover a couple of the colorful characters in the family tree of Jesus. I think you'll find them encouraging and somewhat horrifying at the same time. Starting off Mary's list is Adam. Adam's on the list. It's hard to put Adam on that list because this is what Romans 5.12 says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We need to understand this. Eve sinned through rebellion. Adam sinned through abdication. Where in the world was Adam when his wife was talking to a snake? And before you judge them and put them in a different category... Every single one of us has rebelled and every single one of us has abdicated and yet the same God who redeemed their story is also working on redeeming ours. David's on the list. Good guy to have on your list. King of Israel. Also a liar, a peeping Tom, and a murderer. Judah's on the list. Great guy. Sold his own brother into slavery and was seduced by his daughter-in-law. That's helpful. Lamech is on the list, the originator of plural marriage. That went well for everyone, didn't it? Can you imagine introducing Uncle Lamech at your family gathering? This is Uncle Lamech, and my aunt, and my aunt, and my aunt, and my aunt. Awkward, right? Ahaz is on the list. He sacrificed his own child to a piece of stone that they called Moloch. He did evil in the sight of God. He led the chosen people of God into sexual perversion and idol worship. Way to go. Great, 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 grandpa. He also gave birth to Hezekiah. That's one of the redeeming things because my wife Laurel calls Hezekiah her Bible crush. He's actually an ancestor you can be proud of. That's just a handful of them. And some of you are thinking, well, these guys are messed up. Hold on, ladies, it's your turn. And by the way, it's a really, really big deal that Jesus includes ladies in his Hebrew genealogy. That was not common practice. And I think God was sending a message to all of us. God works his plan through messed up men and women, just like me and you. Let's just mention a few of the ladies. Tamar's on the list. She was a Gentile, an outsider. She was the one, she solicited her father-in-law. It's a horrible story. Rahab is on the list. She was another Gentile. She was a spiritually curious working girl. And through her obedience and seeking God, her whole family was saved. Ruth is on the list. She was a Moabitess. Just so you know, the Moabites were devout enemies of Israel. Do you hear the message all the way through the family tree of Jesus? God has a room at his table for outsiders. And we are all outsiders because God is perfect and we're not. We could keep going, but let's wrap up with Mary. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, hold on, Pastor. You can talk about anybody you want to in the family tree, but you better leave Mary alone. And so you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a person. She was highly favored 
But she was a sinner. You know how I know that? Because she said so. In this beautiful song that Mary sings called the Magnificat, these are her words. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew she needed a Savior. Mary knew that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mary needed to rest in God's plan to save the world. And so she actively became a part of his family tree. Mary needed Jesus. Here's what's interesting. You know what Mary's name means? I know most of us would think like highly favored or beautiful one. Her name actually means lots of bitterness. It means she wished for a child. It actually translates into the word bitter. The best translation is rebellious. We don't often think of Mary as rebellious. I mean, after all, it says she was favored, right? But the truth about Mary is she struggled with the same rebellion that we all struggle with. It's the problem of sin. Sin is a universal problem, but here's the good news of Christmas. God has a plan. Christmas is all about God's plan to redeem our rebellion. Let me sum it up this way, speaking of the family tree of Jesus. Up close, this family is a mess. From God's viewpoint, this family is the plan. I think we can all agree that God's plan can be hard to see sometimes. I mean, some of us, honestly, you're looking at your own life right now going, I hope God has a plan. <laughs> and the truth is he does. Sometimes the plan is obvious and other times it's woven into the obscure fabric of a list of historical names in a genealogy. So a couple of months ago, my wife Laurel showed me something that actually intrigued me. It came from a friend. It was in the form of video. And when I saw it the first time, I went, oh, that's interesting. And I was a little skeptical. So I did a little checking out. I was impressed by the historical nature of it, and then I just promptly forgot about it. My brain gets full of Christmas details just like yours does. And then a couple of weeks ago, some people from Christ the King, thank you, David and Teresa, if you're watching, they sent it to me again, and I got a little interested in it again. And when I started working on the message, it just seemed to fit so perfectly. Because I was asking questions, is there something more in this long list of names that God's trying to communicate? Is there something more in the lineage of Jesus? Is there even more evidence woven into this list of names that would help us believe that God actually has a plan? Because I don't know about you, but after the year called 2020, I need to know that God has a plan. Well, what if the plan has been active for thousands of years? And what if we're a part of it? And what if God is doing something incredible this Christmas. So I'm going to ask you to watch this and pay very close attention to the names and how it's woven together. I want you to hear the broken story of people and then I'm going to ask you a question. Is it time for you to add your name into the lineage of majesty? Let's watch this together.
the prophetic lineage of Jesus Christ. This is 77 generations. In the Hebrew names of all of these people that you see in this list, they all have Hebrew meaning. That's the amazing thing about the Hebrew naming system is they're like sentences. They'll say something. So what I did is I basically said, this lineage is a picture of Jesus. That's what it is. He is the seed. I did it two ways. From Adam through David, through Solomon, down through Joseph to Jesus. And then I did Adam through David over to Nathan and down through Mary to Jesus. I would like you to just listen. Behold the power of our God. This is extraordinary. He will be the last Adam, standing redemptively in the place of another. The people of this earth are his possession, and for the praise of God, he has come down to make a way. When he dies, there will be an outpouring. His death will be as a weapon. He is brought low that he may prove powerful. He will bring rest and will be a resting place. His name will be famous among those who have been cut off from the breast and bound in the enemy's stronghold. For he calls them his possession. He will enter this earth as a tender shoot, as one from the heavenly region. He will divide even the closest friends. He will be a branch burning with resolve when he takes up residence here. He will be the father of a multitude, the chief of a mighty host. He laughs at the deceiver and supplanter and overcomes. He shall be praised, and the breach he will fortify and close and wall in. He is exalted, the royal seed who will crush the head of the hissing enchanter. Crush the head of the hissing enchanter. So now let's go down to the royal lineage. This is through David, down through Solomon, through Joseph, and to Jesus. He will be a covering of garments, and in him is strength. He will come serving to make wealthy his beloved and bring peace and enlarge for himself a people. He will say, Jehovah is my father. He will be harmed, but then healed, hurt, but then made whole. It will be said that he, God, has judged, and he, God, is exalted. He will prove the strength of God and the perfection of God. He will possess in his hand the power of God, and though he is forgotten of his people, he will prove the master builder and divinely heal them. And he, God, will set and make strong those who ask of God, those born in captivity. He will say, my father is majesty. He will be raised up by God to be a helper, to be the righteous one. God will raise him up for God's praise, majesty, and splendor. He will be the help of God, a gift. And to the heel-grabbing supplanter, he will exchange out life for death and bring God's salvation. The blood lineage. This is Nathan down through Mary and then to Jesus. He will be a covering of garment, and in his strength he will come serving to make wealthy his beloved and give the gift of God. He declares to those under the enchantment that they are his dearest object of care and that he will raise them up. He will be the giver of grace, life in exchange for death. They will praise God who hearken unto him and join to him in covenant. Those who receive the gift of God, the one whom God has exalted, will find the help and salvation of God. They will be sustained by God, be quickened, made awake, and made alive. He will be measured according to the king's divine oracles. He will be adorned as king. He will be a heavenly light unto all who ask of God and those born in captivity. He will heal and give grace. He shall be praised for he gives life in exchange for death. To those who hearken the good tidings, he gives the gift of God unto the small. 
He is the bright light unto those whose eyes are fixed on God. He is a consolation and comfort unto the burdened. The gift of God is life in exchange for death. It's the violent action of the king in order to join in covenant. The gift of God raises us to heavenly heights and gives life and liberty in exchange for death and rebellion. It brings us God's salvation. rebellious. Where will the seed of God be born? It'll be born in a woman whose name is rebellious. This is amazing. Eve, she rebelled. She ate of the fruit. She turned against the word of God and she rebelled. What does Mary do? Mary is the true woman whom the seed of God was born in. But her name means rebellious. And yet God in this whole thing rectifies that which was wrong in the garden. He uses a woman and corrects it all. We are the bride of Christ. Be it unto me according to thy will. And we turn and believe. And then the life of God is born in us, in the rebellious. And there is redemption that is brought. And that which comes forth out of the rebellious is pure and holy and righteous. He is taking that which went wrong and he is restoring it in and through the womb of a woman. And by the way, we are to be that virgin in which the life of Christ is born afresh. We are to be the habitation of God through which the seed, the fruition of God comes forth into this earth. Yes, we are the rebellious. We have the privilege of giving rise and life to the Messiah and saying, I, the rebellious, need what you, the perfect, have done to restore and to rectify and to redeem that which the enemy has destroyed. I turn to you. I want us to stand back in awe and wonder at the majesty of our God. Yes, it's impossible, but... He loves the impossible, and he has done the impossible all over again, in and through us. Adam messed it up, and Jesus made it right. Eve messed it up, and Jesus made it right. Grant Fishbook messed it up, and Jesus made it right. We all messed it up, and Jesus responded by saying, why don't you come and become a part of my family? God uses broken people, men and women, broken families to bring about his perfect plan. So I don't care how messed up your story is. I don't care how twisted your family tree is. Everything can change if you will open your heart to a single question. What if God's up to something? 
What if God has a plan for you? And what if today is the day you become a part of the lineage of Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus wants for Christmas? You. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all he wants. I think Raymond Brown, the author, captures this the best. He writes, he says, The God who wrote with beginnings with crooked lines also writes the sequence with crooked lines. And some of those lines are our own lives and witness. A God who did not hesitate to use the scheming as well as the noble, the impure as well as the pure, this God continues to work through the same medley. If it's a challenge to recognize in the last part of Matthew's genealogy that totally unknown people were a part of the story of Jesus Christ, it may be an even greater challenge to recognize that the unknown characters of today are an essential part of the sequence. Let me speak to the followers of Jesus. Do not give up on Christmas this year. It's too important. Take your rightful place in the family of Jesus. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He said we are the light of the world. And if we keep our light down because we're discouraged, depressed, or disheartened, the rest of the world suffers. So church, wake up, step up, and do whatever you need to do to not forget that Christmas is the celebration of the fact that Jesus came. Take your rightful place. Oh, come, let us adore him and acknowledge who the us is. We are the broken and the beautiful. We are the ruined and the redeemed. We are the trashed and the triumphant. (laughs) Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. The Bible says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And oh, by the way, it gets really, really good here. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. I have really good news for you. To those of you who are already in the family of God, you're in the will. And just in case you don't know, the owner of the will owns everything. And it's yours. All of it. (laughs) Because he's your father and you are his precious son or daughter. So I have a question for those of you who are watching at home and those of you who are in the room today. Is today the day that you fully step into the family line of Jesus? Is today the day when you finally say, okay, I've done my own way of living and now I need to do something different because it's led me here. Is today the day when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I don't deserve to be in your family, but I'd like to take you up on your offer, an offer of adoption. In doing that, are you ready today to be written 
into the family tree of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All weekend long, we've been seeing people come to Jesus. It's kind of a crazy thing. And I want to give those of you at the sleep-in service here in the room and those of you at home today or in a car somewhere watching on a phone an opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. I think that would be a great way to kick off Christmas. So in just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you, if you have a longing in your heart today that just says, God, I, I have to believe you have a plan. If today your response is to ask God to write your name into his family tree, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of faith, a simple prayer of faith that simply says, God, save me. Make my name matter for the rest of eternity. So right now, everybody in the room, everybody at home, let's just have a moment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just so we kind of push out the distractions. And and let's pray together. God, I've done my own thing and gone my own way. And I need your help to make it right. God, what you did for Adam and for Eve and so many others in your family tree, I need you to do for me. God, I acknowledge that in in making my own decisions, I've done many things that have broken your heart. And I'll call them what it is. I sinned against you. But God, right now I come and I confess that to you. And I simply say, would would you save me from my sin? Would you adopt me into your family today? I know I don't deserve a place at your table, but, but God, would you make a place for me? God, I confess my sin And God, I repent of all of that stuff and I turn away from it and God, I know I'm not gonna be perfect, but right now I ask you, would you be the Lord, Savior, King and leader of my life? God, would you you come around me? Would you walk with me as I spend the rest of my life honoring you as someone who bears the name of Jesus. So God, here's all my mess, all my hurt, all the pain. God, would you exchange it for something beautiful today? Love, grace, and mercy. I ask this because of who you are. Because you said if I called on you, that you would answer me and save me. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. And Jesus, I want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters, those in the room and those watching at home, those who may feel discouraged and disheartened because of the darkness around them, God. And I pray in the name and the power of Jesus that they would refuse, steadfastly refuse 
to give up on Christmas this year. In fact, I pray that they would step closer, that they would choose your hope and your peace, that we embrace this season of Advent and walk strong as the light of the world. God, infuse us with strength and may we walk in your peace today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.